0: are you ready to get empowered? (laughs) Of course you are. Well, you've picked the right time and the right place. It's time now for Francina Hallriss and the Empowered Family Talk program. Spend the next hour with Francina and learn things that you need to know.
1: And this is Empowered Family Talk. May the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Good day to all of our listeners and sponsors and welcome back to Empowered Family Talk on this lovely day of Monday, January 15th, 2018, as we celebrate our beloved Martin Luther King holiday. Our scripture for today is Amos 524, which is a segue to our topic today, We the Peoples. Paying it forward in the 21st century. As we be the dream, are we prepared? Now let's introduce our delightful panel that we have with us today. uh, Joining us for this special series on Dr. Martin Luther King and other civil rights leaders around the world. Uh, Our first guest, of course, uh, Jack Bishop and, uh, we're delighted to have uh, Miss Theodora, and we're going to ask her to grace our audience with the correct pronunciation of her beautiful name, Theodora.
2: Francina, thank you so much. It's Theodora von Hornstahl
1: Thank you so much, Theodora. Joining us from the state of Virginia. Um, and also we have... Uh, a uh, very special person uh, joining us, Doctor—I want to call him Doctor uh, Donald Watkins Jr. Uh, out of Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome to Empowered Family Talk, ladies and gentlemen.
0: Good to be thank here you with you, friend, Thank you.
1: Well, thank you guys for being here. Uh, just for our audience, uh, uh, just a brief background on Miss Theodora. She is uh, out of the state of Virginia. And she is an executive with the Virginia Economic Development Partnership for United Nations University of Peace. And our good friend, Mr. Watkins, is the co-founder of Alamerica Bank in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, He's also a uh, he owns Pencor Orange Corp and designated manager of the Masada family of companies. Uh, Mr. Watkins also owns First Highland Highland Group LLC, a real estate development company. But he's uh, more special. Uh, he's earned his Juris Doctor degree from UAB, University of Alabama. Um, he is a licensed to practice law in Alabama and Washington D.C. So we're we're honored to have both of you with us today. And before we get with started with our talk, I'd like to introduce. To the table as we're honoring uh, Dr. Martin Luther King and world leaders and what they stood for. Um, I'm looking for that piece of paper. Dar- Dr. King had a lot of uh, uh, conversations with the Lord, he was in touch with his spirit, and um, he had four scriptures. That he uh, emphasized during his work for We the Peoples, and I like to introduce those four scriptures to the table. The first scripture, as we open with, is Amos 5:24, and it reads, "But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream." Isaiah 40, or through 5, every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain psalms 30 verse 5 weeping may stay for the night but rejoicing comes in the morning and the last scripture we have is galatians 3:28 There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. And I submit to the table as we discuss and answer one of the most relevant questions that we have today is how do we pay it forward? And I submit to the table.
0: Well, I think you ought to ask us a question, a little more specific. How
1: do how do we pay it forward?
0: Well, I think uh, as we
1: honor the dream of Dr. Martin Luther King, that becomes the question.
0: Well, I think we have to first of all start by saying, you know, the civil rights movement did not begin with Dr. King. There would have been no Martin Luther King as we know him, as we think of him, if it hadn't have been for a very brave woman who said, "I'm going to sit in the seat." today i'm going to sit in this seat
1: uh, and that woman
0: rosa parks now uh you you i'm always bothered to some extent by the fact that we have a almost now a hollywood version of dr king yeah uh yeah. in that uh the real history of Martin Luther King, is sometimes lost. And, uh, you know, he comes to national prominence in the mid-50s with the Birmingham bus boycott. But uh, King was not the guy that the ministers there in Birmingham wanted to lead the boycott initially. They had to convince him. It took three times of them sitting down with him and saying, we need you to lead this movement. And most folks have forgotten that or don't know it. He was the new preacher in town, and the others said, well, gee, you know, we've got established churches, and we've got a stake in this town, and we've got something to lose if this goes south. This guy King just got here. They were more or less throwing him to the lions.
1: All of that's correct. All of Mr. That is correct. Wow, amazing, Mr. Watkins. Uh, could let you me speak?
3: say this. Let me say this. Jack and Theodore and Francina. Uh, I grew up in Montgomery, and Jack the 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 uh, bus boycott started in Montgomery. That's right. The, I'm sorry. Uh, the Bull, Bull Connor confrontation was in Birmingham in, in 1963, but the the bus boycott started in Montgomery. I grew up. I was a very young child at the time. Uh, Martin Luther King uh, Jr. was my pastor. Sunday school teacher, and BTU instructor. We were Baptists. Dex Avenue Baptist Church was his uh, pastorate in uh, Montgomery. Uh, at the time, I didn't know he was famous because I was so young, and um, I did not know Rosa Parks was famous because she was one of my mother's best friends. And so we would see these people at church, after after church, at home, uh, during the dinner hour. But what what looking back on it now, uh, and especially since, you know, I've grown up, I've matured, I've had an adult life. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the important lessons that came from these people who were very humble, very humble, uh, modest individuals, uh, especially uh, considering they were facing some of the most difficult circumstances in life oh. at the time and mm-hmm. were trying to elevate not just for themselves, but for their communities. And uh, for, for African-American communities across the South, uh, elevate those communities so that they could join in and participate in the basic freedoms and rights that ordinary American, white Americans were enjoying on a day-to-day basis. But, but their humility and their strength, inner strength, mm. and determination to elevate an entire nation by elevating the African-American community was remarkable. And and what I personally took away from all of that mm. is that the power to love, particularly the power to love your enemies, is the mm. most powerful force on earth. And and uh, the forces of segregation, uh, of entrenched racial discrimination, those forces were defeated mm. by the power to love those enemies. And so. Um, and I, I use that in my daily life all of the time. You know, God doesn't promise you a bed of roses. God doesn't promise you that every day is going to be a, you know, a trip in the sunshine and perfect weather. But he does promise you the opportunity to use your skills, abilities, intellect, and mm-hmm. determination to make a better way for yourself, your family, your community. Mm-hmm. If you will do that yourself, believe in him and love your fellow man. And uh, so when we fast forward from 1954 and 55, when the bus boycott was in full swing, to where we are in 2018, mm-hmm. we have lived through, those of us who've been on Earth that period of time in America, and particularly in the South, we have lived through dramatic changes in the quality of life and everyday experiences of African Americans in the South and in in America. And it's remarkable to look back and to think that the man who was cursed, who was Mm. kicked, who was stabbed, who Mm. was beaten, who was arrested so many times uh, in Montgomery and Birmingham and in other cities across the country, and who was assassinated in Memphis in 1968. When we fast forward to date, here, the only monument on the, the mall in Washington to an African-American is the monument dedicated to Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. And the 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 nation itself has uh, op- developed and opened an African-American museum that is world-class in Washington, D.C., that gives our entire history to America, starting in the hell holes of the, the slave ships that brought oh. us over here. All the way to where we are today, the the distinguished African Americans who have made that historical development possible for us. So when I look back just on my small personal experience in life and how Dr. King and Rosa Parks and Ralph Abernathy and the the thousands of freedom fighters across uh, across the state, many of whom we don't even know their names, but they opened doors for us. I I am thankful that 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 I got to personally witness and experience the liberation of our people from the sweltering heat of oppression, where George Wallace's lips were dripping with the words nullification and interposition and and segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever Mm. to go from that to. Working and 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 having the first African American owned bank ever commissioned by the state of Alabama, mm-hmm. That's been one since there was not one before. It's just it's it's a lifetime that that has been filled with remarkable developments, all of which I can trace back directly to Dr. King, and that's why I celebrate his life, mm. his birthday, his legacy. I don't have to read about it in a book. Right. I actually was taught. You know, life lessons by this man, along with my my parents, along with my community, and uh, it's Ooh. been a it's been a wonderful, a wonderful experience and an enlightening one in my personal life.
1: Wow, that's beautiful, uh, 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 Donald. I really uh, appreciate that. And the one question I have: Do you what happened? What when we look at our United States Congress today, and we start looking at our Constitution and where our peoples are, in 320 mm-hmm. million people in the United States right now, and the condition of anyone that's non-white in the population, when mm-hmm. you look at, when you just take a photograph and you look at our Congress and our cabinets and our leadership, what, what happened? To the dream. What happened is this, I think. This is
3: my personal opinion. Liberation is a journey. It's not a destination.
4: Mm. It has to
3: be worked on every day. Because the forces that oppose our growth, they never stop. They never quit. They may regroup after a defeat here and a defeat there, but they're always present. They mm. have reassembled what used to be the White Citizens Council. And the state and local government is now sitting in the White House. It's the national government, and so we have to continue the fight for justice for 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 all Americans, really. And uh, it, that that is a constant vigil. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we can relax, take a break from from time to time, but the struggle always continues. It may be in a different form. Mm-hmm. They don't have to have they don't have to have uh, segregation laws. If they can keep you from economic empowerment, you know, if you can't it. spend money, you can't
0: leave your house. Donald, you just my... you just said so much. you just said so much with that last phrase, economic empowerment. Uh, you, you know, uh, I always am reminded of uh, of several things when we start talking about Dr. King. One that a very very dear friend of mine, who I would have loved to have had on this program, but. <laughs> she's out of the country, lucky her, uh, Was and the, the reason I, I, I said Birmingham, she was with King in Birmingham, a Jewish girl from Chicago whose father told her she needed to be involved because, one, this was history-making, and, two, yeah. this would not only make things better for black folk in America, but it would make America a better country. Also, yeah. I'm reminded of what Dr. King said in one of his speeches about, uh, "Thank God," he said. Uh, he said, uh, "Things are not what they should be, but thank God, things aren't the way they used to be." And, exactly. And as exactly. you and as you pointed out, the economic thing. We all forget King was not in Memphis when he was assassinated, for integrating schools or integrating lunch lunchrooms. Uh, he was there fighting for the wages of garbage collection.
3: Sanitation exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. You know, and and money. And, money. And,
0: and we're gonna play a little clip about uh, not from that uh, event, but but some things that he said that I thought were extremely salient uh, Jim, na- na- theodora now na- we've got theodora in. here now theodora uh
2: i've got a lot of comments i want to make relative to what has been discussed thus far please um so i don't know if you want to play the clip first no no
0: we'll play the clip we'll go later ahead.
1: go ahead miss theodora
2: Well, a couple of things, and Donald, thank you so much for sharing your experience in all of this. I come from a vastly different um, situation, and to start with – dr king went to india to learn from mahatma gandhi based on right. the success of gandhi's efforts and so one what that tells us is that non-violent response to oppression can be a learned skill and so that's very important that i want to come back to that because that's something that we need to be teaching our youth relative to francina's first challenge question how do we pay it forward Just as there are strategies for warfare and fighting and there are war colleges and tactics, there are also peace strategies. And so, you know, nonviolent protest is vastly more successful than violence in overturning oppression. And we need to help our young people learn, whether it's on an interpersonal basis or an Intrastate basis, there are more effective ways to resolving conflict than resorting to violence. And going back to the economic oppression, and Francina, you asked, what happened in Congress? We had the civil rights movement. Why don't we visually see Mm -hmm. diversity in Congress? And I would assert that goes to basic. Structural violence and structural injustice. And so you've got communities that they don't have access to healthy fresh food because they're in an inner city food desert they don't have transportation to necessarily get out somewhere to get healthier food or the the nice businesses don't want to go into that neighborhood their structural oppression that it's not enough to say well, go to school and get an education so you can get a good job. You are presupposing that they're gonna get Mm -hmm. a good education in the first place. And if we look at where school budgets Mm. are cut, there was something recently on the news about school budgets in Chicago, and categorically the, um, I don't have the data to back this up that I could cite it right now, but Mm -hmm. I recall that the budget cuts were made in the predominantly um, minority-based schools. How can those students compete on an equal playing field when they don't have resources? And that's why it's so important for the Coach Tate Foundation to offer resources, for us to pay it forward, to encourage youth to know there are resources out there. Here's how you tap into them. And we need to do something to overcome this structural inequality that has been entrenched in our society for centuries. Mm. Um, Back to the economic aspect of things, it was the lunch counter sit-ins. that, if you think back to the Civil Rights Movement, the lunch counters, they were losing money. It was costing them money to have the protesters there, to have the civil disobedience play out at their lunch counters. They were losing customers. And so if you look at things from, okay, we're not going to invoke violence, but we can pressure you in other ways that you will come to the table to Mm -hmm. negotiate with us. Mm -hmm. There was something I saw recently, um, patriarchy isn't going to upend itself. The ones who are in the position of power oppressing others, Mm -hmm. it is not to their interest to level the playing field they're going to do what they can to keep that monopoly and if if those who are in the um minority start to invoke violence that almost then justifies a violent retaliatory action against them um correct according to Mm. studies done by erica chenoweth Um, Uprisings that invoke violence are 50% more likely to fail. If a movement uses nonviolence as their strategy, three out of four times they are more likely to succeed. If violence is invoked, only one in four violent protests succeed, and I would offer that's going to be temporary. Is violence an answer? Violence is an answer, but it's not the correct answer. It might be a good short-term answer. It might help you feel better in the immediate Mm short-term,
4: but mm -hmm, mm long-term,
2: there are going to be consequences. And long-term, you are going to have more bodily injury, more loss of life, more economic devastation, which will undermine support for your cause. And so what we need to teach our youth is that there's another answer that doesn't involve violence. And that's how we can honor the memory of Dr. King Mm -hmm. and help our youth end up with more level playing fields, get them access to the opportunities that they rightly deserve.
0: Theodora, we've got to take a break right now Francina, um, would you tell everybody what they're listening to?
1: (laughs) Well, of course, Jack, I will be happy to do that. You're listening to uh, Empowered Family Talk. And we'll take a short break and get right back and talk about paying it forward in the 21st century.
0: to empower families and young people in your community, then take the time to make a tax deductible contribution to the Coach Tate Fund. The Coach Tate Foundation is dedicated to helping young people and their families in learning and passing on the kinds of life skills that we all need to succeed. All too often, we hear about kids and their families having encountered life's difficulties that could have been easily avoided by knowing better decision-making skills. From anger management to money management to something as simple as learning to manage how we spend our time or how we use our job skills. Make a donation to the Coach Tate Fund. It'll help kids who need help and their families, too. Make your contribution to the Coach Tate Fund. Get details at www.coachtatefoundation.com. And, oh, by the way,
5: thank you. I'm uh, Colonel Mason, Managing Editor of the Science News Radio Network. For those of us who enjoy listening to Francina on this program, we have an opportunity to meet her in person when Francina is a featured speaker at the Energy Utility Environment Conference in San Diego, March 5 through 7. In just a minute, I'll tell you how you can get half-price registration for the entire conference and hear Francina reveal what the world must know urgently about nuclear security, imminent world dangers known only by insiders, What happened to all that weapons-grade plutonium when Russia and the United States agreed to deconstruct their nuclear arsenals? And why is the Republican governor of South Carolina suing the Republican-led U.S. Department of Energy for $1 million a day over that question? Why is the ingenious program titled Megatons to Megawatts not working? And what is Russia doing in retaliation for the United States breaching that treaty with them? Is Russia responsible for the rapid advancement of nuclear weapon capabilities by North Korea? What do insiders secretly believe is the biggest threat to nuclear security worldwide? And why does nuclear safety and nuclear security demand such different disciplines? Vexing questions with constantly evolving answers. Francina is a nuclear security specialist. These and other dangerous conditions confounding the government will be clearly brought to light when she speaks at the conference. The EUEC is the country's largest energy utility environment conference expo with over 400 speakers, 2,000 attendees, and 200 exhibits. Learn more at EUEC.com. You can get half-price conference registration by using the code TTD when registering online. Use the VIP code TTD when you register at EUEC.com
0: empower your family with the dynamic new book by francina hallriss our sixth sense and purpose the power in knowing who you are it's the book that gives you insights into life's problems francina hallriss is an author motivational speaker and national broadcaster who believes the answers to your problems lies within the knowledge that was once traditionally passed down by families but that knowledge has been short-circuited by today's faster pace. The book, Our Sixth Sense and Purpose, The Power in Knowing Who You Are, brings that accumulated wisdom to the problems that all families face. You'll find your copy of Our Sixth Sense and Purpose, The Power in Knowing Who You Are, at Amazon and at better bookstores. Empower your life with the dynamic new book, Our Sixth Sense and Purpose, The Power in Knowing Who You Are, by Francina Horace.
1: Okay guys, welcome back to Empower Family Talk. Now Jack, before we left, you were we were talking about Miss Theodora, the nonviolent approach uh to to uh uh successful outcomes. Can you share with us uh your clips that uh, you indicated?
0: Well, now now the clips that uh, we have, and uh, the, the first clip I'm going to play here in just a moment, is not about nonviolence. You know, uh, King was about so much more. Uh, the first clip we're going to play uh, was at a speech uh, at a college south of my hometown of San Francisco, and a uh, little place called Stanford University, maybe you've heard about it. It's one of the nation's top colleges. Now, uh, I'm going to preface this by saying, growing up in the 50s like I did, I was born after World War II, growing up in the 50s as a black kid in a multi-ethnic, middle-class neighborhood in San Francisco was pretty damn easy. It wasn't until actually that uh, I got into college and in and, uh, and got involved with uh, various people in political organizations and movements, and then really coming to the South after college is when I saw what King was talking about. Uh-huh. But uh, in 1964-65, King was at Stanford University, and he delivered a speech that... Uh, he called the two Americans.
4: ...here, Mr. Bell, members of the faculty and members of the student body of the Institution of Learning, ladies and gentlemen. Now, there are several things that uh, one could talk about before such a large, concerned and enlightened audience. There are so many problems facing our nation and our world that one could just take off anywhere. But today I would like to talk mainly about the race problem, since I'll have to rush right out and go to New York to talk about Vietnam tomorrow, and I've been talking about it a great deal uh, this week and weeks before that. But I'd like to use as a subject from which to speak this afternoon the other America, And I use this subject because there are literally two Americas. One America is beautiful for situation. And in a sense, this America is overflowing with the milk of prosperity and the honey of opportunity. This America is the habitat of millions of people who have food and material necessities for their bodies, and culture and education for their minds, and freedom and human dignity for their spirits. In this America, millions of people experience every day the opportunity of having life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in all of their dimensions. And in this America, millions of young people grow up in the sunlight of opportunity. But tragically and unfortunately, there is another America, This other America has a daily ugliness about it that constantly transforms the buoyancy of hope into the fatigue of despair. In this America, millions of work-starved men walk the streets daily in search for jobs that do not exist. In this America, millions of people find themselves living in rat-infested, vermin-filled slums. In this America, people are poor by the millions, and they find themselves perishing on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. In a sense, the greatest tragedy of this other America is what it does to little children. Little children in this other America are forced to grow up with clouds of inferiority forming every day in their little mental skies. And as we look at this other America, we see it as an arena of blasted hopes and shattered dreams. Many people of various backgrounds live in this other America. uh, America. Some are Mexican-Americans, some are Puerto Ricans, some are Indians. uh, Some uh, happen to be from other groups. Millions of them are Appalachian whites. Probably the largest group in this other America in proportion to its size and the population is the American Negro. The American Negro finds himself living in a triple ghetto, a ghetto of race, a ghetto of poverty, a ghetto... ...is to deal with this problem, to deal with this problem of the two Americas, We are seeking to make America one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all.
0: What I found so telling about this speech was the fact that uh, this is over 50 years ago that he delivered this. Damn. And and
3: yeah, and it sounds like he's talking about
0: today. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like
1: about Damn, that's today.
3: the that's the amazing part. You know, I've prob- been describing right now, today, two thousand eighteen in America. Yes, what I, I want to say
2: to this, though, and I know that before this clip was played, Jackie said it doesn't deal with nonviolent protest, but this is how we bring everything full circle. And I know Francina mentioned that I'm completing a master's from the United Nations University for Peace. But my first master's degree is in conflict analysis and resolution from George Mason University in the School of Conflict Analysis and Resolution. And um, some of the basic theories of conflict are at play right here in the two Americas, because there's what we call the basic needs approach. Um, John Burton and Johann Galton were adherents of this. It's very much like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and that we have basic needs that must be met, food, clothing, shelter, and so you have your lower base needs that you can't even focus on meeting your higher needs, your um, personal, your social needs, and all of this stems around if we can't feed our families, that's going to be the most pressing thing for us. If we don't have a job to feed our families, we're going to resort to whatever means necessary, means necessary to, to put to food buy. on the table, yeah. and yeah. So, It all interrelates. You can't say there's this over here and that over there. Donald's mention of economic opportunities, all of this is so interrelated. If you don't have good education, if you don't have job opportunities, you are going to be at the lowest level of the basic needs approach, ladder, triangle, whatever you want to call it, that – My children, my grandchildren, are only as safe and secure Uh as your children and your grandchildren. And if your grandchildren and children are starving, chances are you might want to come and take some of my food if I'm not willing to share it with you. Um, And so when we look at these type of things, there's also another theory of relative deprivation. If we were in isolated silos and we don't ever see that anybody has anything different from us, Mm. if we're all suffering and we are all starving, then, okay, well, this is how it is for everybody. But the moment in time you see, wait a second, that person over there isn't starving, and how is that person any better or any different than me? Then there's a sense of relative deprivation. Why do they have and I don't have, and then there's this sense of, of anger and then the frustration aggression theory kicks in that you are going to take out your aggression on the source of the frustration and so all of this is so interrelated that you can't you can't yeah. tackle one problem without looking at it from a holistic perspective and saying we need to teach our kids yes Donald you are right love our enemies But when we're starving, I need to feed my kids. So how can we instill the values and messages that they need to have and hear, but they're going to bed hungry every night, and mom or dad can't find a job, or they don't have transportation to get to the job, and that's where we need to carry King's legacy forward and be... be be the messengers and, and, and help direct them to the resources. I'm so passionate mm-hmm. about this. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, uh, I'm going to stop and let you all comment. Well, it's let, just let, That let, just resonated so much with let me. Let me
3: make a couple of comments in response to your observations, which I think were spot on. Mm. But, but when you reflect back on King's, uh, his time in the 50s and the 60s, the, the way he was successful and the reason he was successful was through networking, within the Uh black community. And yes, Uh there were allies who came, white allies who came uh, down South to to assist in the struggle and who were willing to bleed just as much as the the black community was for our freedom. So this Uh is not exactly a black and white thing in in that term, but networking has gotten lost. We don't network. We're the only community I know in America who uh, is conditioned not to network with each other? The Vietnamese got over here after the war, the Vietnam War. They network. The Koreans network in America. Greeks network. Jews network. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. And even Indians, too, who, who were uh, run out of America uh, and almost uh, annihilated completely and placed on reservation during the River Tears uh, marches. But everybody networks except us. And so when well, I look well, at well, well, the community, well, whether it's in Detroit or Washington or, or wherever, we say, well, we can't do anything about this community. It's a permanent underclass. That, you know, the houses are dilapidated. The schools are bad all the time. And then I see the same officials, often the ones we put in office, uh-huh. who say that we, don't, we can't do anything because we don't have any resources. I see uh-huh. them go in into supporting gentrification programs that totally, totally transform Communities in Detroit, in in Washington D.C., in mm-hmm. Birmingham, Alabama, in Atlanta—places that were ghetto. I mean, ghetto, run down, dilapidated. Mm. And so, why is it we, when we sit in power, we do not use our resources, our focus, our networking? Now, I'm talking Amen. about networking when public when public comes in and says, "Oh yeah, we want to put a new store out here in the suburbs or in in the you know the upscale part of uh, Birmingham, Alabama, but we don't insist that they put one on the west side. Mm-hmm. We have our our communities have to drive five and ten miles to go get groceries. Have to drive two or three miles to find a bank branch to transact any kind of business. And I think I think one of the core things that King was trying to get us to understand is mm-hmm. our power. In addition to to 11-hour enemies, our power also is derived from networking and lifting each other up while we are fighting the forces of oppression. Let, and and let, we don't need anybody's permission to network. Let me get let, let let me, anybody's let. position to empower uh, mm-hmm. the, the mm. merchants of goods or providers of services. I look back when I was practicing law. I practiced for 25 straight years, straight out of law school. at a uh, uh, litigation practice. In other words, I would go into the arena and fight. I was a gladiator and I was fighting whoever hired me during my entire 25 years. And I had a very successful legal career. The mm. black community mm. brought me the, the cream of the crop cases. I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't get the flimsy ones. I'm talking about, I got the ones that white lawyers would die to have. Right, and they entrusted me with that through networking and stayed with me and allowed mm. me to be free to mm. fight for them because my bread, my daily bread, came from my own community. Amen. Therefore, I could be their voice in the courtroom. I could be their voice when I ran for the city council in Montgomery, Alabama, and, and, mm. and won that, that, that seat. I could be their voice in Birmingham. Uh-huh. I could be their voice to say, hey, we need a bank, too. Y'all have a bank. We need a bank too. And so, if we network, we can solve problems. We can afford opportunities for young kids who, mm-hmm. unless they can play football or dribble a basketball, don't have a way, a pathway to move forward where they get the total infrastructure support that is made available to young black athletes. And you get a you get a young uh, IQ genius and see if everybody's mm-hmm. running to him. Like they are to a little kid who can run the 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 football, you know, down down the down the the field. And so I think I think one of the keys is networking. You know, every day in America, Monday through Friday,
2: mm-hmm.
3: all of us look at the news, and the and the one item that's going to be on the news on every station every day in America, Monday through Friday at five o'clock, is how did the stock market do today? They bring the bell at five o'clock uh. so they can tell the nation how did the rich people do today. Now you tell me what is the bell for those of us who are African Americans, for those of us who are not in the one percenters, for those of us who are in minority communities across this nation? What bell rings to tell the world how we're doing that day? What is the barometer of how we're doing? There is none that I am aware of. We gonna, have, make it one. We, we
4: well, gonna we have to make
3: one. It one. Well, we gonna ju- have to make one. Let, me, right. ju- let me have to make one. Let me let me jump. We to rise out. Let me me jump in here for Let me jump in here for a minute. And we can do this. That's right, we can. We got to stop looking to other communities, other people to lift our boat. We have to lift it ourselves. That's what Bush Bush Washington did with Tuskegee Institute. You know, rather than complaining Uh, we don't have any buildings for dormitories or classrooms, he took the students who would come. And they constructed their own buildings and dormitories. And when they didn't mm. have bricks, he taught them how to make bricks out of clay and straw. That's so what that I'm talking about.
0: I got to say something right now. You know, D- yeah. Donald, you said uh, networking, and I agree with you. But the problem, in, in my eyes and you know my eyes are pretty old I think I'm a little bit older than everybody else that's on this table is is this uh, black folk in America particularly after World War II bought into the American dream like we had never bought in before you know the uh, the vets in the U.S. services the black vets used to talk about the double V Victory over fascism overseas, victory over racism here. And we sincerely believe and be, still believe in the American dream of of individual effort and accomplishment. Now, if you look at... And that's the,
3: critical, but you need more than that. Now,
0: let me say this, and this may be controversial... Uh-huh. before the before integration before brown versus board and what followed because black <laughs> folk in much of this country in most of this country were segregated were ghettoized even if you had money you were still living in the ghetto or as i like to say the ghetto if you have money mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh by sheer necessity We did network. You had, you might not have had a black bank. But But you had the church, too. well, Well, you still got a damn church. I mean, look, you know, black folks spend more time in church than anybody. That's one of the reasons I'm a Unitarian. (laughs) <laughs> you know, you actually a, had a
3: lot of black institutions churches yes. um uh, insur- insur- uh, insurance uh, companies French
0: unions uh, uh yeah there was a, a lot uh, of them. black wall street i was shocked to find out black wall that street? i i was shocked yeah. to find out that uh, in dallas and fort worth there was a black bank in dallas there was a black bank in fort worth they they survived through one survived through the depression the other survived through world war 2 by the, You know, by the sheer necessity of being in apartheid, people networked to get by. Once that yeah. stopped, once that stopped, we bought more and more and more and more into the American dream. I like to tell the story of my dad. We were the third black family to move into the neighborhood that I think of as home. Uh, now, my old man was in the military. We lived on uh, on military bases up until the time I was 10. So this was the first house we bought. A couple of years after we had been there, this new family moved in across the street from us. I, now, I come home from school late one day, My dad is home from the base and the old man is mad as hell. Never seen him so mad at something as he looked out his plate glass window. You know. And he said, I can't believe this. I just can't believe this is going on in my neighborhood. And my mom came home a short while later and saw that he he was upset and said, Hey, Bish, what's wrong? He said, do you see what's moving in across the street? And my mom looks out the window and says, yeah, there are folks moving in. What's the deal? He said, those are rednecks from Oklahoma, and there goes the damn neighborhood. (laughs) Now, 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 I I was about 12, and of course you don't say what you think to your dad when, you know, you're no, twelve you years old. But I would have liked to have I would have liked for him to have stayed around a little longer. So I could have said, Hey Dad, don't you think that when the Greens, the first black family, moved into this neighborhood, they said that? When the Williamses, who live two streets over and whose boy Oni I play with all the time, don't you think they said that? And Lord knows what they said about us when we moved in with two cars and you wearing a uniform that said Petty Officer. Uh, you, know, you know, that's the thing uh, that...
3: I think I think networking is on the rise, Jack. All right. Oh, I agree, I agree with you. I agree with you. I met her through networking. And, and I will say this, and I'm not bragging anything like that. Our bank in Birmingham has the, one of the highest tier one capital ratios of any bank in the state of Alabama. And that is possible because we are supported by a broad-based community, but particularly a core uh, customer base of African-American customers. And so we're not like, I'm not talking about a high capital ratio for black banks. I'm talking about for any bank operating in the state. Mm -hmm. And every business I have had, and this has been since I've been in business. I've been in business a long time everyone I've had has been supported through networking and the networking, the networking has allowed it to rise above, you know, it's other competitors. Even if, even when I go into the international arena, because the 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 globe, the world, the earth is occupied by more people, indigenous people of color in countries than it is, you know, uh, Caucasian, uh, uh, People. And so networking is important, but we are the ones who choose in America for the most part to not network because we've been conditioned to believe that we have to try to do this by ourselves. And well, when I look at Wall Street, and I'm going to stop after this, Wall Street is a way for businesses that are almost all white on there, are maybe a couple of dozen black uh, publicly traded companies. But that is a way for them to go out and get your money, regular citizens' money, to build their business. And so it's not frowned upon. It's almost like, I won't call it welfare, but it's certainly a subsidized growth for American businesses. They take an ordinary people's money. They give you a stock certificate and say, hey, I'll pay you some profit if I make profits, some dividends if I make some dividends, and, and let me use your money for a period of time. You can check out of it whenever you want to check out of it. But that's all it's a subsidy for American businesses.
0: Well Donald, so you, we give, have network. you give when Wal, we network, we will grow. You give Wall Street a uh, better title and bill than I do. I refer to Wall Street as the New American Casino. It's not debt too. It's not it's not investing anymore.
3: It's not. I know it's just a it's a gamble. Yeah. And it's not a gamble I want to take. Yeah, it's not. I don't know who's running the company. I don't know if they're going to get up Monday through Friday and get up and be at work at six and then stay to midnight that night. I don't know if that CEO is going to do that. What I do know if he he runs it in the ground, they're going to put a golden parachute on him, give him 20 or 30 million dollars. And, and kick him out and bring somebody else in that I don't know had no part in picking and don't know if that person's gonna work. So but I'm also, not a big Wall Street.
0: Now, player. but Francina said something that I want to go back to, and that is she was talking about, and uh, you know, you turn on the TV, you get the, you know, how Wall Street did, you look at the paper and it talks about that. But there was a time yeah. in this country when the business pages of our newspapers didn't just talk yeah. about. The stock market. They also talked about the American labor movement.
3: Correct.
0: You know this and co- corporate
3: responsibility. And corporate, and respons- corporate responsibility.
0: Now uh, to civic communities. Now, when I was a young guy, and I hate to tell you how old I am now, uh, about twenty-five percent of America belonged to a union. Now it's down to about six percent. That is intentional by the powers yeah. that be in our government and Don't in our no in our and in our corporation it you know it it goes back to networking and it goes back to something that one of the founding fathers said, united we stand divided we fall simple as that. Well, right. and
2: i w- I want to chime in here also for a moment relative to Donald's comments about networking um More dynamics of interpersonal dealings with each other. There are in-groups and out-groups. There's an us and a them mentality. And by default, you will have groups that we're the in-group, whether it's based on our gender, our religion, Mm -hmm. the color of our skin, our ethnic, whatever it is. People can affiliate and associate with more than one in-group, and they can have a very multifaceted um, identity. But when we are relating to things by our identity and our in-group, having someone from the out-group try to come in and tell us how to run our in-group, we don't take to that. It doesn't matter who the in-group and out-group is. Mm-hmm. In-group, mm-hmm. you know, the the whole Value that I hear Donald saying of the networking is within our own in group, we need to look to ourselves for our solutions, build the building That's ourselves, exactly what I'm make saying. the bricks ourselves. Because exactly no amount I'm of I'm the only Caucasian, you know, at the table right now, my differences and my backgrounds and experiences vastly different than yours. I still have value I can bring to the table because I have experienced poverty and want and violence, and so I can approach youth from, I don't have the color of your skin, so I don't have that type of experience you have but I have the hunger experience I have the violence experience I have the not knowing you know if I'm going to have a roof over my head experience but by and large if I didn't have that ability to relate to them I'm going to be seen as an outsider and they're not going That's to cool. value what I say as much as if I am one of them so we have to find a way to build these bridges and connect with people in a way that we are part of the same in-group. And when we encounter an out-group of them, that's when we need to have the resources to realize nonviolence is the way we need to move forward. We need to look to ourselves to solve our own problems, but do so in an acceptable manner that gains us
3: support for our cause. I agree. I, I have one footnote to what you said, Theodora. Networking is not an exclusionary exclusionary uh, mm-hmm. process. It's an inclusionary process. And it really is a uh, an alliance of strategic interest. And it mm-hmm. may be a group of African-Americans with a, uh, uh, a, a group of uh, other Americans who share certain mutual interests. And so um, everybody can be in the network. It's how we identify the goals of the network that matter.
4: So it, mm-hmm. I'm going to have
3: to run on that statement oh. because I've overstayed my welcome on the program. Well, no, so, no you did not. You did, it you did already. not exactly. overstay
0: your welcome. You were, you know, <laughs> come come join us again. Donald. It, that was
3: my polite words, way of saying I got to go to work. Hey, on Luther King's birthday. hey, hey,
0: listen, you know, uh, I'm going to say this and Francine is <laughs> going to get mad at me. You know, I'm not sure Dr. King would want us not to be working on his uh, uh As his long day. as the
4: work
3: is liberation. I think it's blessed.
0: Okay? Yes, sir.
3: So I think exactly. that was his thing. He was a 24 hour
0: day guy, seven days a week. Liberation. So Donald, I'm in that army. Donald Watt, uh, Watkins so, Jr. Thank you so much for being with us. Take care now. All right. Take care, Theodore. And there he goes. Take Bye-bye. care, you too. Theodore, I want to pivot to you. Uh, uh, Francina uh, has stepped away from the microphone. I want to pivot to you mm-hmm. for a moment. And and, and that is, uh, uh, I like to share stories. And, mm-hmm. and uh, when you said the in-groups, the out-groups, that struck a nerve. Uh, uh, and a very important nerve for me, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, my concept of who is valuable in my life changed in high school because mm-hmm. of one person. Now, mm-hmm. San Francisco never had segregated schools, except for the Chinese. They stuck the Chinese kids in separate schools up until the 1920s shows mm-hmm. you, you know how how sometimes that stuff plays out. Mm-hmm. But uh, in my senior year in high school, 1963, uh, San Francisco did integrated schools by bringing in kids that had been in what we would now call special education schools for handicapped kids and mm-hmm. And my old high school was the oldest school building in the city. four stories, narrow hallways, and uh one elevator that was not the,
2: really ADA compliant not, huh?
0: not not even if you were uh, if, if you were a football player and you and you had fractured your toe, it wasn't even compliant for that. And uh one day on the public address system the uh the, the principal called out a bunch of names of kids including mine now I had always been one of those kids that had been involved in all kinds of stuff other than sports and he said would you people come to the principal's office and I'm going I didn't do anything you know I you know I... Mm-hmm. but what he wanted was for some of us to volunteer to help some of these handicapped kids get around this obstacle course that we call the high school. Mm -hmm. And I figured, okay, what the hey, it gets me out of a class early. And so I volunteered, and I was assigned to be the seeing-eye human for this girl who was blind, who I've stayed in touch with since 1963. Wow. Now, the important thing about our union was I'm black, she's white, she's blind, I'm Mm -hmm. sighted. And we had one class together, and it was very, well, I tell you, my life has been so fortunate. It was a civics class. Mm -hmm. And we were talking in our civics class because uh, Mr. Chuck Coop, who I still think of fondly, even though he passed away about 15 years ago, was talking about Dr. King and what was going on in the South, and one of his uh, uh, crusades, uh, and it might have been Birmingham, it probably was Birmingham, now that I think about it, and Claudia, this friend of mine, said something that was so salient, she said, uh, I don't get this thing about disliking people because of the color of their skin i've been blind since birth so
3: mm-hmm.
0: that's not a a thing that i get and she said and some people tell me that my friend jack bishop is black and i don't really understand that because everything is black to me she said but what what i do get is that jack is always there for me and is always ready to help me, and will Mm -hmm. always be my friend. So uh, she and I have been friends through uh, my two marriages, her marriage that recently ended with the death of her husband, uh, being halfway across the country from each other, and yet at least once a month we still talk. Now, I said all that to say this. You know, our perception of who and what group we belong in, by Dr. King's standard, needs to change.
2: Definitely. Absolutely. And I would say, you know, what goes along with the in-group versus the out-group is that, as I mentioned, i'm I'm going to affiliate with a female identity mm-hmm. and you with a male identity, I'm assuming most likely, if we yep. look at stereotypical gender norms. Um, but I can then relate to you on another level of we obviously are both interested in paying it forward to today's youth. So we have that common tie between us. Possibly you and Claudia, she had faced. Um, challenges with her blindness and not being accepted into certain social situations the way possibly you might have. Now, I know you said you didn't really experience it until you moved to the South, but you both found another layer at which you could relate and identify. And so what we need to help others do is find what we call a supraordinate identity where, okay, you're male, I'm female. You're, Afri- you're American Negro, I'm Caucasian. So where else can we find a level that we can connect? Um, You know, Francina and I met years ago, and we instantly bonded. Um, This is not to say that if somebody is not an in-group versus an out-group, they can never have that connection. It just means we're going to need to dig a little deeper possibly to find how we have something in common and build on our commonalities as opposed to, focus on our differences
0: you know and that is what Dr. King said Mm -hmm. to focus on our character not just the superficialness of what we are but to focus on who we are Mm
2: -hmm. exactly
0: and and, um, this has been a wonderful wonderful hour that we have spent together Francina stepped away from the microphone. Oh, wait a minute. Here she comes back to the microphone. Here's Francina just in time for the end of the program. Where were you? You disappeared there for a moment.
1: <laughs> well, Jack, sometimes, you know, we have to multitask, and I had to take another overseas call. So uh, I'm back with the group and uh, am delighted to have, uh this this uh, special program today on Dr. Martin Luther King, and want to give a special thanks to our guest, so we can wrap this session up today. Um, a special heartfelt thank you to Mr. Donald Watkins, I call him uh, Bernardo Watkins, and uh, Miss Theodora, and of course Jack Bishop, and so we will close this session until next week, same time, same station. And I'd like to leave you with a poem, a special poem that's written by Jamie McKenzie in honor of Dr. Martin Luther King. And the poem is entitled, Standing Tall. Some kings rule their kingdoms sitting down, surrounded by luxury, soft cushions, and fans but this King stood strong he stood proud he stood tall when the driver told Rosa move to the back of the bus when the waiter told the students we don't serve your kind when the mayor told the voters your vote don't count when the sheriff told the marchers get off our streets using fire hoses police dogs and cattle prods to move them along this king stood strong he stood proud he stood tall speaking of peace of love of children hand in hand free at last free at last when some yelled for violence For angry revenge, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. He stood his ground, preaching peace. And when some spit out hate, he stood there smiling, spreading love. Until it rolled like the sea across the land, sweeping away Jim Crow, breaking down the walls ringing the bell joyfully for freedom. Until, standing on the mountaintop, they shot him coldly, hoping to see him fall, hoping to put him away, to bring him low. But this king, even in death, even today, stands strong. He stands proud. He stands tall. And we remember as we pay it forward. Until next week, same time, same station, I am Francina Tate Hallres, your hostess.
0: Listening to Empowered Family Talk with your hostess, Francina Haldras. Be sure and join us next week and every week at this time for the program that brings you practical answers to the questions of the 21st century. For Empowered Family Talk, I'm Jack Bishop.